Well, so we are continuing our series that's entitled Companies Coming. And uh, the idea really is that, that we do have someone who is coming, and that is Christ, the newborn king that we celebrate here through Advent into Christmas. But furthermore, uh, there's one coming, the same one, who, however, won't come as a baby this time, but rather as the Lion of Judah uh, to end all things, because he is both the beginning and the end. He's the word from the beginning who was with God. He is the word who uh, takes on flesh, but he's also the word that will have the final word in the end. And so, you know, Advent is this interesting time that is a lot like Lent. It's actually not meant for feasting, which we probably do quite a bit of in, uh, in well, I, I do more feasting in the wintertime anyway. I don't know if it's that animal nature of mine that's trying to put on a subcutaneous layer to stay warm, but either way, I tend to eat more in the, in the, um, in the wintertime. And, you know, but at Advent is a time of, of actually fasting and penance. That is to say, it's a time of repentance, of turning away from sin and turning to God. Which is a... It's not just turning away from things. Sometimes people get the wrong idea about what we're trying to communicate and what the Bible's trying to communicate. When it says to turn away from certain things, it's meaning that we turn to other things. It doesn't leave a... Christianity does not leave a vacancy or a vacuum in our life. Instead, it gets rid of stuff in order to fill us with the Holy Spirit. That's the idea. And so as we, as we so to speak, clean the garage out, we can finally pull other things in. Does your garage act like that? Mine does. It seems as a place where all things that you just don't know what to do with it, it goes to the garage, you know? It's like, I don't know where that box goes. Well, it goes in the garage then, right? I don't know where that pot goes. It goes in the garage. I don't know where that toy goes. It goes in the garage. And then your garage gets so full that you can't even park your car in it, and it's no longer even functional. Anybody have this problem? All right, at least I got a couple brothers and sisters out there with me. And you know what we have to do is we have to clean the garage, don't we? We have to first recognize it's a mess. And sometimes, well, well you know how this happens. In, if I go to your house, I may see a little bump on the wall or mispainted or a misguided wall. Or, but you, because you live there all the time, they tell us that after about seven weeks, you no longer see imperfections anymore in your own house. They just disappear. You don't, your mind just doesn't recognize them anymore. And you know, I think, I really think our lives work just like that. We accumulate a bunch of stuff. And here we are at the end of the year, so to speak. Uh, and, and I just wonder if we haven't kind of pushed things into the parts of the garage of our life. And that they've accumulated and that part of our life's not even functional anymore. But we haven't recognized it. But there comes a time, right, when you're, when you're kind of trying to get, well, let me put it this way. At my, I won't speak for you, but I'll speak for me. At my house, I'll open up the garage door to go out to my truck, and there's stuff everywhere. I can't even, there's nowhere even to walk. There's just shoes. So I just start walking on top of it, and whatever breaks, I throw it away. 
and I realized, you know what? It's, uh, it's time to clean out the garage. <laughs> I don't know what 2020 has been like for you, but for me, I've, uh, I've seen the need to clean out the garage. I've seen that in my own life, some things just aren't functional. That I've allowed things to creep in and to build up, and now it's time for cleansing. And Advent, friend, Advent is a time of preparation. It is a time where we recognize, like we talked about last week. Remember we talked about four images of sin. We talked about how this world's a mess, how when we look at our own life, that line runs right through us. We can't just say the world is bad. We have to also say that that line runs right through us. That fallenness. But that's not the end of the message, is it? No, that's the beginning of the message, is to realize that we need God's cleansing. That we need Him to come in and help us clean out the garage. Advent is just for that. And you know, when we've got company coming, as I said last week, um, we, we get things cleaned up. But my favorite part is when Jessica says this. When she says, hey, babe, will you please set the table? Because that means we're getting close to eating. You know what I mean? I already told you I like to eat. So when she says, hey, if you'll get the table ready, we'll be ready to eat. Man, that table gets, gets prepped pretty quickly. And rightly, because I want to do that part right. And you know what? Advent is meant to set the table for Christmas. It's meant to set the table for the coming of Christ. Even the second coming of Christ. The final coming of Christ. Maybe this is a good way to think about it. He's already come once. And we celebrate that. He also must come to us in here. It's not enough that he came 2,000 years ago and became a human. That doesn't automatically save everybody. Instead, he wants to come to your heart. He says so himself. That's the reason I came was why? Because I've got to go back to the Father. Why? So he can send the Spirit. Where? Where? To a manger? No. To here. To this temple. To this body. This house of worship. And friend, if you've pushed him away, like the innkeeper, then it's time, it's time to set the table. It's time to prepare your heart. It's time to make room for God. To create space for what he wants in your life. Which is holiness. But what is holiness? But God. It's him. This is why he says, I stand at the door and knock in Revelation. What does he wanted to do? Berate us for how bad we are? No. He wants to come in. And sup with us. Eat with us. And we with him. What a beautiful picture. And what a beautiful call. Yes he's come. He must come here. And he is coming again. 
It's a fact. And we as people of faith, you know, sometimes it takes me a long time to learn something. This is one thing the Lord, I think, was just kind of hitting me in the ribs with the past few days is, Marshall, you say you're a person of faith. (laughs) You're a minister in Christianity, which is a faith. And, And yet sometimes, maybe a lot of the time, you don't operate like I'm surely coming soon. Instead, you're too busy hustling, bustling your own kingdom, pushing your own agenda, not making any room for me. And friends, I'll just tell you, I've had to repent. I've had to repent. In fact, last night, before our children, I had to repent. And turn to God again and say, Lord, I have faith, but help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. Strengthen my faith that one day you really are going to make things right. What a, what a gospel that somehow all the injustices will be corrected. All the things that's disordered will be aligned when he comes again. Part of that is happening now, but in its totality, there will be a consummation. And as Revelation so beautifully and poetically says, on that day, after the last judgment, there will be no more sea. Which always represents chaos which always represents uncertainty. What a day that'll be when my Jesus I will see, (laughs) when he takes me by the hand and leads me to the promised land. It starts today. It starts in this time of preparation. Isaiah has a word for us today. And I mentioned to you how the book of Isaiah generally works. It's a, it's, a, it's a big book. If you've ever tried to read it, it's, you know, it's not going to happen in probably one night. <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe six or seven or ten nights. But it's 66 chapters long. There's 66 books in the Bible. Interestingly enough, today we land at chapter 40, which would be the division, if you think about it, of the Old Testament and the New Testament, wouldn't it? You've got 39 chapters behind chapter 40 which there's 39 books in the Old Testament, and then there's 27 books in the New Testament, which there's, you know, starting with chapter 40, there's 27 chapters left in Isaiah, which is why scholars have noted that Isaiah is a miniature Bible. It has all the major salvific themes running through it. And in fact, the first part of it is primarily teaching us that there's judgment coming, therefore repent. Anybody ever read the Old Testament? Doesn't that sound about accurate? Yeah. Most of the Old Testament is teaching us our condition. It's walking us around the garage and saying, that's a tripping hazard. If your child touches that, they're going to get electrocuted. Like, you've got to clean this place up. This place is a mess. Which is where we started last week. But that's not where we finish. We don't just say, oh, you're a mess, I'm a mess. It's okay. Wasn't there a book that came out? I'm okay, you're okay. That's kind of a anti-biblical. No. 
I'm not okay, you're not okay, but let's turn to the one who is right. Let's turn to the one who is okay, and he begins to help us and shape us. This is not, this is not something that's negative. The gospel is something positive. It begins with bad news. That's what makes the good news. As Lewis pointed out a long time ago, C.S. Lewis, he said you can't have good milk or spoiled milk without good milk. And the idea is the same here. The reason there's evil in the world is because there is a good God. One cannot say, oh, I had a bad father or that was a bad marriage unless there exists a good one to measure it by. If not, then it's just your word against mine and we're back to judges, the judges period, which none of us want to go there. We just came out of that going through our series on Samuel. No, 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 no. He provides not only, not only showing us our sin, but a way forward. And that's why Isaiah, starting, if you will, the New Testament sort of chapters, the good news chapters here in Isaiah, notice his first words, comfort Oh, comfort my people, says your God. Who is the comforter in the New Testament? Let's say it together. The Holy Spirit. Yeah, he will send the comforter, John says. In the Gospel of John. So if we're a mess, if our world's a mess, and we've got to set the table, how do we go about doing that? What is God's responsibility in this? And I think, I think God's responsibility is our great teacher. He's our great parent, if you will. You know, all good teachers give tests. Amen? Oh, okay, well, either we, either we don't have teachers, <laughs> or you had a lot of really bad ones, you know? I don't know what's wrong, but... Uh, Tests are meant to measure what one knows about the material covered. At least that's how I say it in my syllabus. <laughs> I try to make it positive, you know. But tests are never fun, but they are necessary. When you get to that Abrahamic story where he's asked to sacrifice his son, the beginning of the narrative says, God decided to test Abraham. <laughs> Isn't a disciple a student? And don't students get tested? Now, the test is not for, follow me here, the test is not for the teacher. <laughs> In fact, tests are like the teacher's worst thing they do. If you ask most teachers, like grading, test, that's the worst part. Teaching's the fun part. Grading, that's the awful part. And right now we're here at finals, so it's kind of apropos that I say all these things, but I'm kind of halfway complaining to you. But here's the thing. Tests are necessary for the student. And when God gives us a test, it's not him that's learning. <laughs> he already knows, doesn't he? Don't you believe that God knows you better than you know you? Better than your wife or husband knows you? Better than your best friend knows you? Oh, he knows you, friend. Before it ever rolls off your tongue, he knows what you're going to say. He even knows the thoughts 
and intentions of our heart. No, God doesn't give Abraham a test because God needs to learn something. He gives Abraham a test so that Abraham can learn something. Didn't this same thing happen in the garden? They sin, and what does God say? Where are you? Now, I thought God knew everything. Why is God asking a question? Why does Jesus ask so many questions? It's so that they may know. You see, left to our own, we're blind, the Bible says. We're groping around in darkness. We are deaf. We can't hear his word or wise counsel. And we're paralyzed. We can't get up and do what is right. <laughs> but with God, he can show us our condition. And once we know our condition, what do we do next? Confess it to him. And then ask for his help, don't we? And isn't he ready to help those who ask? Oh, he is, friend. Let me just tell you, if you haven't tried that, you should try that. He says, ask. He says, seek. He says, knock. And he doesn't give a time frame on that, does he? It's not like this. Well, he didn't answer, so that's what my kids do, you know? Tell them to do something, they just do it for just a minute. All right, that's, it's over. No, we need to practice. Advent is a time of waiting. It's just like when we set that table. You know how it is. And in that one family member, you know what I mean? The one that should have washed their hands 30 minutes ago. Little boy about this tall, small head. It's like, where is this guy? Here's all this food. We're smelling it. I mean, we can't hardly keep our hands off of it. But we've got to wait. We've got to be patient. And patience is not something that comes to us naturally, is it? But it's not just waiting around, whistling. Instead, it's whistling while we work. That's the kind of waiting Christians do. Christians don't just sit around. Oh, we're looking for the eastern sky here. That's what we do. No, no. We, like our God, come to the lowly. You see, our condition, and Isaiah told us this last week, our condition is one of fallenness. We have fallen far. It wasn't just like a fall out of the chair and we got a small contusion. No, no, no. We fell off the Empire State Building and we're a mess. At the bottom, we're a mess. And at the bottom of our hearts, there's a mess often. And what he wants to do is start the cleanup process. And the first step is recognizing and confessing our need for him. Seeing that we need God more than anything else in our life. And God is such a great teacher that he will, and you have to take this with some nuance, but he will take away things in our life or suspend them or disrupt them for the purpose of turning us to him and not those things. Don't we do that as parents? Look, I like my kids to play video games. I, you know, it was a fun thing growing up for me to do that. 
but I have to limit them. I don't like it any more than they do, but it's my fatherly duty to help them not be consumed with their own self. Consumed with their own entertainment, entertaining themselves to death, because trust me, they absolutely would. And I have to say, son, you've got to pull off. You've got to take care of your brother or your sister, or you've got to prepare for dinner, or you've got to take a shower. Um, things that seem basic, but when we're entertaining ourselves, which, you know, listen, I, this is one area I've had to repent. We entertain ourselves to death in our culture. It is all about, and I was telling a, a, a group of uh, denominational leaders, you know, my experience has been that people have become more selfish during the pandemic lockdown than more giving. Because now we can get people to bring us food. <laughs> we can watch TV and watch worship and do everything from home now. And all those, listen, I'm not saying all those things are bad. Some of those things have improved our life in a lot of ways. But like all things, they have unintended consequences, some of which have turned us more inward than outward. And I've had to repent, friend. Me. I did to my children last night and my wife. Well, <laughs> Jesus wants to come in and say, all right, Marshall, I'm ready to start the cleanup process if you are. Me, what I like to do is what I did as a kid. Just sort of shove it under the, the bed, you know? It's like clean up your room. And you go up there and you're like, what is, what is this under? It's a hamburger under the bed. Like some of the things I found under the bed, I mean, I don't know about your Maybe your kids are great. <laughs> Just you ought to come over sometime and see ours. Not, not that they're, they're watching, so I hate to, you know. It's bad to be a pastor's kid just because you get thrown under the bus the whole, all the time. I, listen, I get it. It happened to me. I'm doing it to you. So have your little laugh over there while dad's not there. You know? But listen, they like to hide things. They like to do the least amount possible, right? I mean, it's like, son, do you really think that is how you set a table? No, no, buddy, come on. Let's, let's, let's actually do something well, you know? And listen, I, I don't do good at this. Most of us don't do good at this. We're not good at it because we're turned inward. I think about me first. That's where I go. As soon as, as soon as, yeah, that's where it is. And it's like, Lord, please help us to turn ourselves to you. And listen, it is a constant, I think, daily dying to ourselves. Paul says it, doesn't he? We must crucify the desires of the flesh. Now look, God loves us to have a good time. We're having a good time with our, you know, crazy sweater and all that kind of stuff. But there's also times that are meant to be sacred. There's times that are meant to be serious. And we, we balance those. And that's what makes the fun times fun and what makes the sacred times sacred. And he's the one who divides those things. You see, God comes down. I mean, way down. He becomes a zygote, gestates in Mary, is born, fed by her, raised up, is a carpenter, then lives a sinless life. But that's not it. 
He, he does more, doesn't he? He goes down into our suffering. For he tells his disciples, I must suffer. I must suffer. Because that is part of our human condition. It is not unique that we suffer. I feel like it is, though. It's like, why me, God? Why me? God suffers. And then he even goes further to death. And then he even goes further to hell, to Hades. And then he begins his ascent up, doesn't he? <laughs> For on the third day he rose again. We just said it out of our own mouths. We confessed our faith that death does not have the final word. Can I say that again? Because that's important. Death, which is the equalizer of all humanity... No matter how rich, no matter how poor, no matter how smart, no matter how not smart, everyone will die. For it is appointed a man once to die, and then the judgment, the scripture says. But that's not the end. Not for those who are believers in Jesus Christ, who is the risen Lord. For he rises again, and then he ascends to the Father, all the way back up. And that whole descent and ascent is meant to happen in us. We are meant to go down into the waters of baptism, dying to ourself, being putting on Christ, and then rise with him in new life. This is why Paul is able to say, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Lord, may it be so. May it be so in my life. May it be so in your life. Has God given you a test this year? He has me. And from what I've seen of the results of the test so far, because I'm still in the middle of it, it ain't good. <laughs> I didn't do so well. <laughs> But we have one who not only comforts us, the way he comforts us is becoming, coming alongside us. He says, Marshall, you know, like, you don't have to do this alone, right? It's an open book, man. It's an open book test. And I've sent my comforter to help you. The Holy Spirit to lead you and whisper the answers. Now, you may not know question 10 just yet. That's because you haven't finished 7. Work on question 7. 10 will come. He gives us just enough each and every day, doesn't he? That's the way he likes it. Now, you don't have to like it, but he gives us daily bread. You see, most of us are so like me, gluttonous with our life, that we, it's hard, we almost lie when we pray, give us this day our daily bread. Because we have bread for days to come. But he wants to give us each and every day fresh wind, fresh fire, fresh bread, fresh light for the journey. We don't pile it up and take the weekend off it's every single day. We, don't, we are not allowed to binge. 
but instead we eat enough for today. He is enough for today. Now look, I'm just simply preaching to myself. Don't come to me afterwards and say, hey, I think you were preaching to me. And listen, this is, this is basically the story of my life. And I'm saying we need this comforter that Isaiah is talking about. When he shifts gears here from 39 to 40, the first thing he says is the comforter. That God has come down to save us. And in order to be saved, in order not to be filled with pride, we've got to humble ourselves before the Lord Almighty. Bow our knee, as it were. I'll end with this story that I've told before, but I don't know of a better illustration for me because the Lord spoke it to me and showed me this years ago. But we were in a hurry, unfortunately, like we normally are during baseball season. And I was already late for the game, for one of the kids' games. Jessica had already gone to take them, and I was trying to rush out the door. And as soon as I lifted up the garage to back my truck out, a bird flew in. Now, you ever had a bird confined to a small area or even a big area like this? They go nuts. You ever seen one? Just, they just go crazy. But the one thing they always do is try to go up. That's just what they, like, that's what they do, right? They fly up. So dude thinks, I'm going to get out of here. Boom, boom, boom. And he's just hitting his head. I mean, feathers are going everywhere. Then he gets in between, like, you know, because the garage was up, right? He gets in between there and just, like a pinball. Just, I'm like, oh, buddy, hey, what? I didn't know, like, whether to lower the garage because then I thought he would get caught. I mean, it was just a mess. It's an absolute mess. And, and I'm like, buddy, buddy. And then finally he just goes over and, like, sits in the corner, way up, just sitting there. And, I, and he was, like, exhausted. You could just tell. I mean, feathers everywhere again. So I closed down the garage. I'm like, all right, bro, I'm going I'm to deal with you later. You know, we'll, we'll just, you just chill out. I'm going to go to the ball game. I'll be back. <laughs> and uh, so go to the ball game, come back. Sure enough, he's up there. As soon as the garage comes up, he sees the light. Boom, 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 boom. You know, he just starts hitting himself all over again. Finally, exasperated totally and completely beat up, he falls, you know, down to the ground and, and alights there, hops a couple times as he follows the light out and then flies away. It was like the Lord whispered to me in that moment and said, Son, that's what you do. You want to fly high. You want to do great things. But all you end up doing is hurting yourself and making a mess. Trying to get out the window, trying to go out the garage top, out the ceiling, blow the top. And all you do is hurt yourself and get exhausted. And what we need to do is do what he did the second time, which is to lower ourselves. To do as John the Baptist from our reading today, who cries in the wilderness. He says, I must decrease so that Christ can increase. What's it worth, and this is, look, I'm asking myself this question. What's it worth to decrease if the increase is God? Is it worth your money? Is it worth your house, your entertainment, your well-to-do-ness, 
your job, what's it worth to decrease? Not that anything of those are bad. God loves all. He gave you all those things. But if those things become primary and him not, he will fight against them because he loves you. And he has in my life. Advent calls us to clean house, but we're not alone in the cleaning. Has he tested you this year? Don't hide. Instead, come to the light. Come to the light. He'll meet you there. That's where he meets you. The lowly is who he goes to, not the haughty. He says, surely I am coming soon, says the Lord. Revelation 22, literally last chapter of the Bible. Last thing God says to us. Okay, guys, coming soon. Get ready. Set the table. So, O come, O come, Emmanuel, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.